Good job, good job. Anybody meet somebody they didn't know? Good. Good, good, good. Well, welcome today to Mount Perrin North Canton campus. My name is Jeremy, and I am the campus pastor for uh, this campus here of Mount Perrin North. And we're so thankful that you've chosen to be with us today, uh, especially if this is your first time. This is your first time to be with us. We are so thankful that you chose to come out today and to worship with us. What you've just experienced is a little out of the norm for us, but we don't apologize for that. And so we're just so thankful that you've chosen to be here. We have been tracking for, uh, since really the first Sunday of the year, we've been tracking in a series called Bless You. Today is the last of those messages uh, on the blessings of God, really how to identify and live in the blessings of God. And so today is the last of those messages. There's my son, Branson. Branson turned six years old yesterday. And I think his balloon animal just fell apart on the way to his class. So mama's going to help him with that. I don't, if you need a balloon animal, she is very skilled in that way. And I'm just kidding. But, uh, but the, today's the last day of that, and today we're going to talk about family blessing. We're going to talk about blessing our families. Pastor Mark, our senior pastor for both campuses, was here last week, and he talked to us about blessed talking, blessing with our words. We've talked about over the, the last few weeks, we've looked at um, the book of Genesis. We've talked about the blessing of God from Genesis chapter 1, how God blessed Adam and Eve. He blessed humanity really before they had any opportunity to do anything to deserve that blessing. It just said he created man and woman and he blessed them. And so you and I, in our attempt to live life and do life in such a way that earns the blessing of God or earns the favor of God, we're really kind of working against ourselves because God blessed us uh, first. He, w- he moved first. He initiated And then we talked about Abraham and and being and living as this disrupted blessing where God called him away and said, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world, all the families of the world, all the people of the world. And so he lived as this disrupted blessing. And we talked about that as a campus for us, where out of Mount Perrin North, we were birthed and we are a disrupted blessing to this community. And in your life and in my life, this was something new where we allowed God to work through us to bless other people. We've talked about a lot of other things, but really the thing that we're going to deal with today is we're going to look in Numbers chapter 6. So if you've got your Bible, you can flip there to Numbers chapter 6. We're going to read a lot of different scriptures today. We're also going to look at the book of Nehemiah chapter 4 if you want to stick a thumb there. We're going to look at 1 Peter and then 1 Timothy if you want to stick a finger somewhere over there in the New Testament. But we're going to look at several different ideas just to look at God's blessing, God's initiated blessing. We're going to kind of put a capstone on this entire idea and subject of blessing. So Numbers chapter 6 is where we're going to start today. And this is what it says, beginning in verse 22. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. The Israelites are the people of God, the children of Israel, the Hebrew people, that much of the Old Testament and a lot of the biblical narrative is really written about or written to. Says to here's how you're to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now, this is often called the Lord's Prayer of the Old Testament. It's also referred to as the priestly blessing or just the blessing. And for those of you who have been here any length of time, some of those words may sound familiar because I or maybe Pastor Justin or someone that's closing out our service might use those words to uh, really bless you before we dismiss you. 
And so the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And so you hear us say that. Been a little sick this week. Don't be afraid to shake my hand later. I'm not sick, but I may cough to death. So I'm going to drink some water. Turn and say hello to someone sitting beside you. Good job. We'll only do that about 12 or 1300 more times. This blessing in Numbers chapter 6 is, it's created by God. It's dictated by God to Moses to give to Aaron. Aaron is Moses' brother. He is the high priest of the children of Israel. He is the one who went with Moses when Moses went and stood before Pharaoh. And he said, let my people free. Moses was, Aaron was Moses' spokesperson really to speak back to the children of Israel, to his people, because Moses had a little bit of a speech impediment. And so God says to Moses, I'm going to cough. God says to Moses in Numbers chapter six, he says, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you this blessing and I want you to give it to Aaron. And then I want Aaron to speak this blessing over the children of Israel, over the Israelites. And so we need to understand really quickly that this is the words of God. This is not something that Moses made up. It's not something that Aaron made up to speak to the children of Israel. This is God saying to Moses, I'm giving this to you to give to Aaron to proclaim and pronounce over these people. Now, Aaron in this time is the priest of the children of Israel. He is the one who is mediating between God and the people along with Moses there. God's speaking. He's a prophet of God. He is um, helping to mediate between these people, these earthly people like you and I, to God. Now, that's a big deal because a lot of religions still call for a mediator. A lot of other faith tracks still look for someone to play this role of the intermediary between, you know, people, mankind and God. And so I want us to look at this idea because this blessing in Numbers chapter six does not any longer have to be only performed by a priest or a pastor or a rabbi or somebody like that. We now all have the opportunity to proclaim this blessing in our families. We can proclaim it spouse to spouse or parent to child or friend to friend, coworker to coworker. And we really have that opportunity because of Jesus Christ, because of the new covenant through Jesus Christ, and because what the New Testament proclaims uh, of the the priesthood of all believers, the idea that all of us have the ability to be that um, con- direct connection to God. And I want us to look at this in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is what it says. It's going to be up on the screens. We're going to read verse 5 and verse 9. It says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've sung about some of those words in that last song. Turn to somebody beside you while I get some water and say hello. Different person. Again, 11 or 1200 more times. So there's the idea here in First Peter. That we are introduced to the idea that we're a chosen people. We are called and we are entrusted to be priests, to be this holy people set apart by God that God can speak to, speak through, and speak into. And so this is a big deal. Now, again, there are other faiths and other religions and other tracks of, of, of the things that we believe. People that claim to believe in God, claim to even believe in Jesus Christ perhaps. But they still believe that there is a need to work through someone else to get to God. 
And I want us to look at this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I promise this is all going to tie together in a second. But this is what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5. It says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There's no longer any need for there to be another mediator between man and God because Jesus Christ fulfilled that when he came to the earth. He came, he lived on the earth, he, he died on a cross, he went to a tomb, he was raised from the tomb, he sits at the right hand of the Father. And the scriptures tell us he makes intercession for us. He is the mediator between you and I and God. Jesus himself, when he walked on the earth claimed to be God. He claimed to be the son of God. And in John chapter 14, he says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one gets to the father except through me. And then when he went to the cross, there, as you understand the, the temple or the tabernacle, there were different places in that temple that people could go. You and I might be able to go into the kind of the outer courts, the courtyard there of the temple, and we could um, do our business and we could do the things of the tabernacle there. There was also a, another kind of level, another place that you could go into if you were a part of the priesthood. And then there was another place on the innermost part of that where it was the Holy of Holies. The high priest could go there to, to interact with God, to petition God on behalf of the people. And there was such a fear of God and, and, and of, of his power and his might and they were afraid maybe if there was something that had been done wrong in the ritualistic way with which they had to approach God, that sometimes they would tie a rope around the high priest's ankle so that when he went into the Holy of Holies, if the power and might of God fell on him and he was, he was put to death for something that maybe the people had done, that they could drag him out because no one could go in, or to, in to get him. And so there was this, this understanding that, man, it was a certain specific way that God had ordained. Here's how you talk to me. Here's how you interact with me. Here's who can interact with me. And then Jesus comes on the earth and he's walking around and he's living and he's doing life. And then he says, I am the way to the father. No one gets to the father except by me. Hebrews tells us that he was the sacrifice once for all time. So there's no need anymore to continue to make the same ritualistic sacrifices year after year after year to atone for the mistakes that you've made in your past. And so Jesus sets himself up in that way. And then when he goes to the cross and he hangs on the cross and he dies on the cross in the temple, the veil that separated where the ordinary folks could be and where the, the most holy place of God's presence was that that veil, that that curtain was torn from top to bottom and opened up as if to say, not just as if this is not metaphorical. This was literally happening to say now the presence and the power of God is available to everyone through Jesus Christ. And so now if you tie all these pieces together, and this really is important, especially for those of us who are moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles, and maybe we have some children in our sphere of influence, this blessing that we read in Numbers chapter 6, you don't have to wait on me or some other pastor or priest or rabbi or teacher or faith leader of some kind to proclaim this over your family. Because you now have the ability to connect specifically to God, God has instilled to us the ability to proclaim this blessing over one another. We're all now the ability to have this holy relationship, to speak for God and to speak to God and to proclaim his blessing on those around us. And that's really, really important for us to understand today. So I want us to look back at Numbers chapter 6. I want us to break down this blessing that we have and then kind of... We're going to tell one more story from, from Scripture and try to figure out how all this ties together in understanding the family blessing. The thing that God has given to us is this, this 
place of blessing uh, that we live in and, and have really close relationship to. There's really three blessings in one in Numbers chapter 6. The first blessing, first part of this is in verse 24. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord bless you and keep you. This word Lord is, is the word Yahweh. It's the name of God. It's the name that God gave himself. It's I am that I am. It's the eternal aspect of his nature. So he's saying, no one created me, no one came before me. So me, the uncreated eternal being, I am going to bless you and keep you. It goes back to Genesis chapter 1 where he initiates blessing to us through nothing that we do to earn it. And that's really, really important for us to understand. The other thing is, this is kind of the true nature of a father. I mean, my wife and I, we have four children. As a father, I want to bless and keep and secure and protect my children. Right? The, the, the nature of the Father is expressed through this first part of the blessing to say, I want to protect and guard and keep my children. I want to, to bless them. I want to initiate relationship with them when they can't do anything to earn it from me. And so this is the nature of the Father expressed here. Blessing 2 is found in verse 25, and it says, The Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. Shine his face to you and be gracious to you. Now, understanding that the face, the image, the nature of God was not something that could easily be looked at or, or, or glanced upon. And we see this time and time throughout Scripture where God would hide, you know, hide himself. He did that with, with Moses where he, he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock as he passed by because no one could look on the very face or nature of God. And what he's saying in this blessing is, I'm going to shine my face upon you. I'm revealing myself to you. When we hide the face of God, we're talking about the wrath and judgment of God. We're talking about the part of his nature that is righteous and holy and must punish sin and wrongdoing in the world. But he says, if I'm going to shine my face on you, he's saying, I am being vulnerable to you. The God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth is saying, I am making myself so vulnerable to you here to reveal myself to you. Now, how did God reveal himself to us? He revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. So in the first part of this blessing, we see the nature of the heavenly father protecting and keeping and nurturing his children. And in the second part, we see him revealing himself to us through the son, through Jesus Christ. John chapter one says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. We understand that the word then in the next couple of verses says that he, he came and he dwelt among us. The message translation says that he took on skin and moved into the neighborhood. The idea being that Jesus, the son of God, who was with God in the beginning, who was God, he came and became one of us. And so the nature of God is revealed to us is he, he shines his face upon us through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And he's saying, listen, I am so gracious to you that through Jesus Christ, we can have a right relationship. I can reveal to you my nature. You and I and the things that we believe about God and the way that we look to Scripture, the way that we find the parameters of how we live in God-honoring relationships is to see how Jesus Christ himself lived and walked on the earth. So God is gracious to us to give us this example of his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this, okay? And maybe I'm just really, really simple-minded. I, I claim to be that. So maybe that's where I get off here. But how difficult would it be to live for God having had no perfect example of what it looks like to live for God on earth? 
If Jesus had never come to earth, take out of the equation the need that he provided of salvation and going to the cross and all that. Imagine that we're still just under the old law and we got to go sacrifice bulls and goats and all these kind of things, you know, at the day of our of our mistake every single year and all. Just just take that out of the equation and go, OK, if if Jesus never came to earth. And we didn't have the stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels. And where Paul and others refer back to the things that Jesus said and taught and did while he was on the earth. How difficult would it be for us to really live out a life that is God-honoring? And so God in his grace, as a part of his blessing, says, I'm going to shine my face upon you. I'm going to reveal myself to you through the sun and be so gracious to you that you get to see what it looks like to live on this earth in ways that honor me. The third part of the blessing in Numbers chapter 6 says this in verse 26, I believe. It says, the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Again, we have the face of God being shown or turned toward us. And this is instead of him turning away from us because of our unrighteousness, our sin, and the things that we've done to disrupt this perfect communing relationship with God. He turns his face toward us out of the grace through Jesus Christ. He turns his face toward us. And in that action, in him turning towards us, we find peace. We find peace that passes all understanding, Scripture would describe it. We find peace that we can't muster up on our own. The agent of peace in the gospel is the Holy Spirit. He's the agent of peace. One of the gifts of the Spirit outlined in the book of Galatians is peace. And so in verse 24, blessing number one, you have the father and his nurturing, protecting, guarding, keeping aspect of his relationship with us. In verse 25, we have the second part of the blessing where God is revealed to us through the son. And in verse 26, we have the agent of peace, the Holy Spirit, who is given to us by the action of God turning toward us instead of turning away from our sin. Father, son, Holy Spirit. Now, theological scholars who are much, much smarter than me look to the idea of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as this picture of the family relationship, the family dynamic. This, this idea of mutual submission toward and to one another. That says, I submit myself to you. The Father submitting to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. The Son submitting to the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit submitting to uh, the, the Son. The, the, I think I said all those exactly the same. But you understood what I meant right there, right? We're talking about the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. The, the three-part Godhead that we sang about in, in How Great Is Our God a few minutes ago. The Godhead three in one. Father, Spirit, Son. These are three in one. They're, 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 they're family. They're interconnected. And in your family relationship, I don't know what your family dynamic is. Some of it, some of you could have could have the best family in the world. I have my grandparents here today and my cousin. They're in town today. You've, you've heard me preach about my grandparents some. All good things, I promise. But they're here and they set for me and my brother and, and, and my cousin and our other, the other grandchildren on this side of the family, the other kids and now great grandchildren. And I have grandparents on the other side of my family, wonderful, godly people on both sides. They set for us a heritage of godly living, right living. And so I'm very blessed in that regard. Some of you don't have that. You don't have 
parents or grandparents who loved God, or who lived for God and, and established for you what it meant to live in a home where God was worshipped and praised and lived for. But when we look at the family dynamic, it's really interesting for us because there are some responsibilities for all of us to our family. You know, I have a brother, I have a younger brother. I've talked about him at great length. Nobody in the world frustrates me like my brother. But I'll fight you if you go after him, right? That's it, it, we're family. We're family. I'll fight him about a lot of things, but I'll fight for him if you go after him because we're family. We, we, we are mutually submitted towards one another. We are caring and loving towards the other. We are protecting. I want him to be blessed and to, to accept and live in the blessings of God. And so as, as a priest, as a holy person, as a chosen set-apart person... Used by God to be able to speak the blessings of God. I, as a husband and a father in my home, am carrying the responsibility of blessing my family. Of speaking blessing. Pastor talked about this last week. Of speaking blessing over my family. And so I believe that a part of the responsibilities that I've been entrusted with for my family. As the father of those four kids and as the husband of this one amazing woman. I believe that it is my responsibility to bless my family. And here's the thing about it. This is not a magic formula, this blessing of Numbers chapter 6. When I say it or recite it at the end of service or Justin does or someone else does or if I were to take this, this blessing and I were to pray it or, or speak it over my children every single night before they go to bed. There is no magic formula here. We're not reciting something that is you know, going to equal the blessings of God because we said this. Now God did promise in verse 27 of number 6. He says, listen, when Aaron... Because remember, God gave this to Moses to give to Aaron to speak over the children of Israel. He said, whenever Aaron invokes my name over my children, I will bless them. And I believe that blessing carries to all of us. I do believe that. But we're not talking about a magic formula here. It's not the words that we say that bring about the blessings of God. The power and the blessing is found in God, not in the words. And so I think it's really important for us to understand that. But I believe that I have a responsibility to bless my children, to bless my wife. To bless my grandparents and my cousin and my brother and my dad. and I, to, to bless my family. And I believe that you have that responsibility as well. That we are to bless our family. To speak life into them. To speak words of protection and keeping over them. To be gracious. I mean, how often are we towards our family not gracious? I think the people closest to us sometimes get our wrath a little quicker than those who we know the least. But I think what we have here is we have to understand that this blessing is not just something that we proclaim with our mouths, but we live out in the lives of those around us. Because listen to this. If you don't speak into your family, someone is going to speak into your family. Somebody's going to come. If, I, if I'm not speaking, and, and please hear me here. If I'm not speaking words of life into my relationship with my wife, somebody will. If I'm not speaking words of life into my children, somebody's coming along that's going to get in their ear and start talking to them about who they are and who they are not. And I believe it's my responsibility as their father to be in their ear. And I've done this, man. When those kids were babies, my wife nursed. But every chance I got, 
I would rock those babies and rock them to sleep and, and steal them. They were sleeping. You never wake a sleeping baby, but I'm an idiot. And I'd go in there and get them out of that crib. And I would rock them and I would whisper into their ear, God's got big things for you. God wants to do incredible things in your life. I would sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Because I want to speak life into my kids. Because if I'm not speaking that life, somebody's going to come along and say, nobody loves you. You're unlovable. Nobody could love a person like you. Nobody could love someone who did this or does this. Nobody who who lacks this ability or lacks this talent is lovable. And I want them to know that's not true. I want to speak life into them. I want my wife to make it so difficult for any girl that wants to get the attention of any of my three boys. I do. I'm serious. I want to make it impossible for every man in the world to wants to get the attention of my daughter at some point. I want to speak life into her. I want her to know that she's beautiful. I want to speak life and blessing over my kids because if I don't, Somebody's going to come along that's going to try to fill that role that I should be playing. If you got your Bibles, you can flip with me to Numbers chapter 4. I'm closing here, which means nothing. Preachers just say that so that you won't tune me out. I didn't say numbers. Nehemiah. I said numbers. I meant Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. He was the cupbearer and he gets some news when some friends, some kind of long distant relatives, they come along and they tell him what's happened to the wall around the city of God where the people of God live. And the wall has come down and, and it's been torn down and it's in rubbles. And, and, and so he, he, he gets kind of burdened by this and he goes in one day to, to wait upon the king as he has done very faithfully. And we know he's done it faithfully because of how the king responds to him. The king says, hey, how, why the long face? And he says, why wouldn't I have a long face when I hear that the, the, the wall around my city where my people are is in ruins? And so King Artaxerxes says, what do you want? He says, I want you to let me go and to rebuild the wall. And he said, I want you to send with me a letter so that I can have safe passage across. And I want you to help me get the supplies that it's going to take to rebuild the gates and the walls. And the king gives it to him and he goes. And he gets there and the first night he goes and he just rides around the wall of the city and sees how it's been completely destroyed. And so he gathers the people together and they begin rebuilding. And you can read in Nehemiah chapter 2 and 3, the people that he gathers together and he puts at specific places along the wall and they begin to rebuild the gates and rebuild the wall and... They're about halfway done, and the enemies, uh, uh, the, the enemies around them who, who would have loved to have been able to keep that wall down, and they're, they're upset that the wall's going back up because now they don't have free passage into the city where they, they can't go in and attack without there being this fortress, this armor this around the city. And so they're upset about it, and they're, they're talking about it. They're in their ear. You're never, who, who are you? you? Foxes could get to the top of this wall and just tear it down by walking on top of it. And the enemies are coming, and they see the enemies are plotting to come against them. And they hear about the plan. Nehemiah and the rulers there, they hear about the plan of what the enemies are going to do. And this is what it says. This is Nehemiah speaking here in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. This is really, really key. I want you to listen to this. Again, this is kind of how we're wrapping this up. He says, Therefore I, Nehemiah, stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families. 
with their swords, spears, and bows. Verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them, talking about the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Nehemiah understood that nobody was going to fight for a stinking wall. And so he put those people by families in front of the places that they were to rebuild. And if you continue to read in this passage, he has some of the men standing guard with swords and spears, and he has some that are working on the wall. But every person that was working on the wall had their weapon on their side. And he said, listen, if you hear the trumpet sound, he had the trumpeter with him. He said, if you hear the trumpeter sound, you put down your your, your hammers and your chisels. You put down the things that you're rebuilding the wall with. Put those things aside because you're not fighting for the wall. Your family's standing right there with you. You fight for your family. The wall, the the word of God that was given to come and rebuild the wall. God's going to take care of that. God will fight for us. You fight for your family. Now here's, here's what we're talking about today. Here's what we're talking about. Two questions. They're going to go up on the screen. Who's blessing your family? Who's speaking into your family? Who's in your spouse's ear? Telling them how good they are. You? Or the coworker? Who's talking to them about the value that they add to your life or to your company or to your neighborhood or to the community or the board or the committee or the team? Or Who's blessing your family? Who's in your kid's ear? Who's in your grandchildren's ear? Who's in your niece and your nephew's ear? Who, who's in their ear breathing life into them, speaking life into them to say, you matter to God and you matter to me. And anybody that tells you you don't matter is wrong. Who's blessing your family? And the second question is this. Who's fighting for your family? Who's fighting for your family? I mean, as you're rebuilding the wall, who's protecting your sons and daughters? I'm as guilty of this as anybody in the room. I get busy doing work working on the stuff that brings in the paycheck, getting the to-do list finished so I have a sense of accomplishment or I don't let down my boss or the people over me. And I've got, I got my nose to the plow and I'm rebuilding the wall and I'm doing the job that I've been called to do and you need to have a great work ethic and you need to work hard and you need to do all of those things. But the enemy's coming. And the enemy wants to destroy not just your work, but your family. And God has entrusted to you an incredible family. And I mean, if you don't have kids of your own, it doesn't mean you're not a part of a family. You have somebody, it may not be blood related, but somebody in your life that God has entrusted to you. And that's who you fight for. You fight for your sons and your daughters. You fight for your wives. You fight for your homes. It it is not a shock to me at all. When we look at the statistics of marriages, marriages that end in divorce, 
We look at the, the number of kids who grew up in church and walk away from the gospel when they leave our homes. I'm telling you, the enemy wants to destroy our families. And because of Jesus Christ, you have the ability to speak the blessings of God over your family. And guess what? God's entrusted your family to you to fight for. I'm going to ask Justin to come. These words, these, these two questions, they're going to be on the screen for the next few minutes. We're not going to open the altars. This is not a come and let's gather together. This is you sitting where you're sitting. As a husband and a wife, as a single mom, single dad, grandparents, aunt, uncle to, to some kids that you're related to, next door neighbor to a broken family who you don't know who's speaking into those kids' lives, and maybe it's not an accident that they moved in next door to you. School teacher to a room of children who come from so many different places in life. Who's blessing those kids? Who's fighting for those kids? I mean, these children that came in here with us today, and I know it was a little chaotic. Tucker, my son, was over here running laps between the seats and the stage. I have no idea what he was doing. I would like to think that that's three-year-old worship. If the kingdom of God is found in that. Maybe some of us need to act more like that. If these kids that were up here leading motions and dancing in the aisles and singing with you and sitting in the seats and coloring on the bulletin and who's blessing those kids? Who's fighting for those kids? Who's fighting for your marriage? Who? If your answer immediately in your head was not me, you need to check yourself. Because all I can think when I read these two questions is I don't want it to be anybody but me. I don't want anybody blessing my kids other than me and my wife. I don't want anybody blessing my wife other than me, speaking life into her. I don't want anybody fighting for my family harder than I fight for my family. I don't want to be so busy building the wall that I'm neglecting my family. And so these are the two questions that I leave with you today. That if your mom and dad or your grandmas and grandpas or your aunts and uncles or you just don't have a lot of kids in your sphere of influence. Maybe it's relationally. Maybe it's not just kids. Maybe it's not just the next generation, though we are called to do that. I believe with all of my heart that God has entrusted to us a sphere of influence, a family relationship, family dynamic, friendship dynamic somewhere around us that you are called to bless and you are called to fight for. God initiated blessing to us before we could do anything to earn it. Anything in return. And I believe in response to that, we should be people of blessing. Blessing those that he has entrusted to us. And I get in a room like this, with these, this many people in here, that some of you, you've got wayward sons and daughters. They're not living for the Lord. You're not sure what they're living for. 
You can't save them. Neither can I. But you can speak blessing into their life. You can fight for them. And so as we pray today, I'm praying very simply these two things. God, give me the courage and the strength to bless my family. To speak about the nurturing, caring, keeping power of the Father. To speak about God revealed through the Son. To speak about peace found through the Holy Spirit. Let me speak life into my family. And let me fight for them. Let me find whatever that balance is of doing the work God has called me to do with my hands. While not neglecting to fight for those that God has entrusted to me. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your blessing. I thank you for the ability to read your word and find incredible truth about your nature. About who you are and what it is that you call us to. What it is that you allow us to do and be a part of. And so God, today we pray very simply two specific things. We pray that you would allow us to bless our families. That God, those that you've entrusted most closely to us. That God, you would let us be the ones to speak life into them. To nurture and protect and care for them. God, I pray that you would help us to bless them. To bless our spouse. To bless our kids. To bless our grandkids. To bless our nieces and nephews. God, to speak blessing and life over our future spouse. Our future children. God, don't let complacency because we don't see it with our eyes. Keep us from even now beginning to do what you've called us and commanded us to do. God, let us speak blessing into our family. And God, today, let us fight for our family. The enemy's coming. He wants to destroy us. And so I pray today, God, that you would give us the strength and courage, the foresight, the discernment, the knowledge to know the tools of the enemy to destroy us. The things he's trying to use to grab a hold of our kids tools of the enemy to try to grab a hold of the covenant relationship we have or will have with a spouse. God, let us fight. I can say with full conviction that it's worth it. It may look impossible now. It may look like they have wandered away. It may look like they're never coming back. But God, let us hold true to that and fight for our families. And God, as you promise... In Numbers chapter 6, verse 27. Whatever it is that we speak your name over, you'll bless. When we attach your name to our families, when we attach your name to the people of God, you promise to bless. No magic formulas, no magic potion. Not trying to turn you into an A plus B equals C. God, we just hold you to your word. Let us be the agents of blessing. God, as we conclude this incredible series to start this year, I pray that you would allow us as a church at both locations, and God, us here in Canton, 
to be agents of your blessing, God, to to go into this community and speak life into people who are hurting. God, let us be a place where people find life as we point people to you. And God, we're believing that this will be one of the greatest years of what we believe will be a really long story that you're writing here through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.